0: CNN Radio.
1: This is CNN Profiles, where we get to know people with the experience or insights that can impact our understanding of the world. I'm your host, Michael Shoulder, and right now we're focused on the destruction caused by the storm called Sandy. And it's clear that it has become imperative to better prepare ourselves for the Sandys of the future. So we're reaching out to a woman whose life has been tied to the ocean since her childhood. She's an oceanographer. She is one of the 11,000 or so year-round residents of the former whaling capital of the world, the island of Nantucket. Her name is Sarah Octay, and she runs a nature research center on Nantucket called the University of Massachusetts Field Station. Sarah, welcome to CNN Profiles.
0: Thank you so much, Michael.
1: Sarah, you work and live at the field station in Nantucket, which is about how many feet from the ocean's edge?
0: We're, our buildings are right at the doorstep for Nantucket Harbor. So we're only about 50 feet away from the harbor and uh, maybe 25 feet from the salt marsh.
1: Sandy passed right through Nantucket, but you were protected from the ocean by a barrier and it wasn't made of concrete. It was not bags of sand. Tell us about the barrier that protected you from Sandy's storm surge.
0: Our major protection at the field station is a barrier beach with a very large salt marsh called Folgers Marsh, which is 17 acres in size. And so that little barrier beach and that salt marsh absorbs the brunt of Sandy's waves.
1: So describe for us who are not scientists or oceanographers, what is a salt marsh exactly?
0: well a salt marsh is an area that is inundated by the ocean or by harbor every day it is a coastal flatlands mud flats basically where several types of plants salt marsh plants which are tolerant of salt water establish themselves and they grow into this very thickly rooted deeply rooted muddy uh, patch of plants um, that can absorb energy and uh, absorb flood flub- water waters and um, form a lot of very important functions. And there are salt marshes all on every coast in the United States, and they're a very important habitat. And that is one of the major things we had protecting us here on the island.
1: And and how does a marsh actually protect you when there's, when there's a big wave coming?
0: Well, they actually protect um, a coastal area in three different ways. One way is when a wave approaches a salt marsh it actually buffers that wave or acts as a speed bump so that the storm surge and the wave can't come as far inland. So since salt marshes are so muddy and have these very tough plants, salt marsh plants have to be tough and so they make salt marshes themselves a tough environment. So that absorbs the wave physically. When a wave breaks upon a salt marsh it's breaking upon this muddy thick peaty soil with these very tough plants that physically absorb the energy and uh, like the old adage of bending in the wind they bend they're not uh, completely straight and flat so they don't snap off they're very fluid Uh, you can definitely see that when you look across at a salt marsh and see the uh, waves breaking across it like um, waves traveling through a wheat field it's the same kind of movement um, salt marshes also absorb flood water, so they uh, act as a sponge and can absorb up to a one-acre wetlander uh, marsh, can absorb up to a million gallons of water.
1: Put, 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 that, that put that in perspective, for me because I, I can't yeah. picture a million gallons of water, and sometimes I can't even picture an acre. So you've got one acre. Uh, how much water was coming in during this storm that would have needed to be absorbed?
0: In this storm, uh, we had high tides, and then we also had a storm surge. It wasn't near the storm surge they had in New Jersey, but let's say we had a two-foot storm surge. That would be two feet of water on top of your normal high tide. An acre of salt marsh or wetlands can absorb about three acre feet versus of water, so it can absorb about three feet of water above each acre. So um, three times the water of the the volume of the salt marsh. So they can absorb uh, a significant amount. It makes the difference between a storm surge moving inland in, in New Orleans or in New Jersey. Let's say that storm surge would be absorbed within the first two or three hundred yards of salt marsh. If that salt marsh didn't exist, that storm surge could go in several hundred feet, if not a half a mile. Okay. So uh, it, it absorbed quite a bit of water.
1: Okay, so the, the the sort of defining image of this whole storm has really been that coastline of New Jersey, uh, where you just see how inundated the shore became. Uh, w- were there any salt marshes up and down that New Jersey coast uh, from the pictures There's you've quite seen?
0: A, There's quite a few, and I I should look at more pictures, but whenever you're driving along um, the New Jersey, New York uh, parkway and driving along the coast, you're going to see tons and tons of salt marsh that are still there in the industrial part of New Jersey and in all of these different embayments there for the New York, New Jersey estuary system. And there are um, hundreds, if not, um, there might even be thousands of acres of salt marsh that are still there that haven't been built
1: upon. So why did New Jersey get flooded so badly?
0: There are areas where there aren't salt marsh, where they've been basically for years and years, the United States has removed salt marshes by filling them in and building upon them. Some of our greatest cities, whether they're Boston, uh, Washington, D.C., several of our other southern cities, New Orleans, um, Houston, have been built on salt marshes. Boston's a great example where they filled in a large salt marsh and uh, basically cut down areas and uh, filled it in and, and built on it and then... You know, years later we complain about mosquitoes, but about half of the salt marshes in the U.S. have been destroyed over the last 100 or 200 years. Um, mosquito ditching back in the late 1920s and early 30s, as a WPA project, also drained and destroyed a lot of salt marshes.
1: All right, so so if we take the areas in New Jersey that did not have the salt marshes protecting them, and 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 receive some of the worst flooding. Mm -hmm. Can you restore salt marshes without tearing down the buildings that have been put on them?
0: Well, what some cities are doing, um, and and usually you do have to give that salt marsh back to the, the ocean side, to the shoreline. Uh, s- salt marshes need to be right along the shore. Um, some areas are doing something called managed realignment, which is uh, basically moving a hard surface like a bulkhead or seawall or those buildings further back and letting those salt marshes reestablish. Uh, salt marshes need to reestablish in a mat- mud flat that basically is dry during the day and then wet during the day. It has to change from a, a watery area and have a tidal influence. So you couldn't build a salt marsh in 10 feet of water, nor could you build a salt marsh 10 feet above sea level. It has to be right there in that bordering uh, area. But a lot of communities are actually rebuilding and restoring those salt marshes in the areas where we removed them so, and so but look, as far as and, and so
1: looking at areas like hoboken and some other places and just you know just all along the coast of new jersey how much you know i remember you were talking about the acreage of salt marshes how many feet would you need now as a buffer if you were to say okay the only way we're going to survive future storms like this and we know they're going to come is to move some of our buildings back, which uh, that's that's a huge expense to start with, and we're going to give us that salt marsh buffer. I mean, is that the answer? And if so, how many feet of buffer do we need?
0: That's a good question. Um, it might be easier to bring in mud in front of some of those areas and basically fill it in and rebuild the f- mud flats in front of those buildings instead of picking up the buildings. But you would want at least a 300-foot buffer if not ideally, probably an eighth of a mile. You know, you'd want a fair amount of salt marsh. You can't just have 20 feet of salt marsh, and that's going to absorb the brunt of a, you know, Godzilla-like storm. You're going to need to have some amount of room to absorb that water and that sea level rise. So, you know.
1: So, so, so there are two issues here. There, there are places that are going to be vulnerable for a long time unless a fortune is spent creating these new buffers. There are probably also a lot of coastal areas that developers are looking at now, where potential, where where people who may potentially live there need to get this information, right? I mean, they need exactly. to know yep. that, okay, if I'm gonna buy a home, it better be X feet from the water's edge, and exactly. there better be something in between that water's edge and my home, correct?
0: Exactly, the, the salt marshes also provide shoreline stabilization, and we saw that after Katrina. Uh, there's an area called Breton Sound, that was hit just as hard as other parts of Louisiana. But if you look at that area now, it looks like the salt marsh, which is a true salt marsh, almost looks untouched. Less than 0.5% of that marsh disappeared, where other freshwater marshes nearby Lost 10 percent of their land, and areas that were developed lost 50 percent of their land.
1: So, so if you want to, so if you want to sell people who want to live on the coast, and sell developers who want to sell on the coast, and tell them, look, this is the way it should be done. Take a look at a picture of Breton Sound.
0: Yes, look at areas that have homes behind salt marshes. We have several on Nantucket that protected the homes behind them. Instead of take, seeing a salt marsh as a challenge to be built over, to be built, uh, to have boardwalks across, or to be filled in, look at it as a protective force, which is what it is to me. A salt marsh is like a prize fighter that you shove between you and the blows coming your way. You would not want to step out of the way of that and take on the full force of a blow. You want to be behind that protection. So. People often thought of these as challenged areas that just need as swamps that needed to be filled in, and they thought of them in uh, derogatory terms as something that uh, was preventing them from building. But those marshes and wetlands provide so many services. I saw one figure last year that said that salt marshes and wetlands provided $23 billion worth of ecological services just in erosion control and erosion protection from storms
1: per year. You're listening to CNN Profiles. We're talking to a Nantucket oceanographer, Sarah Octay. And now, you know, these are all ecosystems with what we would call biodiversity. There's just not one species in them. And I was reading in the New York Times the other day in the op-ed page that uh, oysters can have a significant impact on the flow of storm surges.
0: Exactly. Yes, uh, so, and, that was a great article. And,
1: and, I, and I know you know a lot about this because this is one of the things you study there on Nantucket. So tell us about all the little creatures in that water that don't seem to matter much, but actually mm-hmm. provide a key life support system and a key protective barrier to us on land.
0: That's, that's very true, and when we look at restoration of ecosystems, we actually look in a linked model uh, using uh, biomimicry-type um, theories where we look at have, protecting our salt marsh, our oyster reef, our mud flap, and our eelgrass, all as being one huge corridor of ecosystems. In an oyster reef, you've got these creatures that not only buffer some of the wind and the waves and the storm surge, but they filter the water. An oyster can filter an amazing amount of water every day. They filter the water and clean it up pollutants. In fact, we're using that in several locations in Boston and people are all over the world to help clean polluted harbors. So you can bring in oysters, get them to attach. They start silting in. They actually collect sediment around them and they are filtering the water uh, that we have uh through our actions polluted.
1: And so just give us an example, one little oyster, which I would gladly order at a restaurant, can filter <laughs> how much water.
0: Oh my goodness, I should have got that exact number. Uh several hundred gallons um certainly in a week. Probably if you put it in a tank, it would filter that entire tank in about Fifteen twenty minutes, um, so uh, certainly hundreds of times the size of it they filter and siphon a lot of water through their gills. You can certainly take a pretty good sized oyster reef We'll filter an entire bay every day
1: all right, so now again, we're looking at that Jersey shore We, mm-hmm. we want to get some mud flats in between the buildings and the water's edge. We want to get salt marshes wherever we can, and now we bring a new creature into into the picture. These oysters, could oysters live between those buildings and neighborhoods across the Jersey Shore and the ocean, or is that not the right habitat they for them? They
0: could. Well, it, oysters like to have a salt-marshy type environment. They, they like uh, middle salinities, anything from about... 12 parts per thousand up to 29 parts per thousand. The ocean is 33 parts per thousand. Fresh water is zero. So if it's completely fresh or completely salty, oysters are not going to be happy. Uh, Oyster reefs are a great first creature to bring in for restoration because they start cleaning up the water. We're starting to see in areas like Massachusetts that where we have water that has too much nutrients from fertilizer and septic systems that the salt marshes are dying because they're getting polluted by all of this excess nitrate and phosphate. Can, so can, the oysters could help protect. it would be a protection system for our protection system, like be buying insurance for our salt marshes to bring in those oysters.
1: So so can can we can oysters reproduce quickly enough to get up to scale to protect large areas of coastal territory?
0: They could, with our help, we would have to bring in, uh, we would be doing things called seeding clo- uh, cultures, We would actually set up and the nice thing is we could use infrastructure that's already in these harbors which are giant concrete balls uh big giant uh, leftover chunks of concrete oysters will settle out on almost anything that is solid and so we have a lot of broken up infrastructure that would make very good oyster beds and you'd have to give it a hand you would have to give it a little head start but uh, they're already doing that in wellfleet in boston harbor in, I think, parts in New Bedford. I'm sure there are some situations in Long Island and in New York where they're looking at um, bringing in oysters to help um, create oyster reefs. And that's really going to buffer some of the waves and absorb some of the energy and also clean up the water. So it's a
1: twofer. Should we be going on a campaign here to say, let's get the salt marshes back up along all the coastal areas, let's get the oysters in there, let's get whatever other biodiversity we need to protect our coastal areas from future storms. I mean, is there we something should. we should be doing uh, you know, that is, that's not partisan, that's just, that just makes sense from nature's perspective that will make our society more resilient to these, to these storms that we're expected to experience?
0: Yes, I th- I'm, it, to answer your question, we should be making uh, this a priority, and we are in Louisiana and Mississippi, and I think this is going to be a wake-up call to the East Coast states that a lot of these storms are going to be making it further up the coast and are going to be impacting the sea-level areas. Now you know, half of our population lives in a coastal county uh, bordering the water and, and with sea-level rise and with a combination of all of the um, – impacts that we're going to see it makes sense to use what nature's already given us certainly not to to remove that and to make it a priority to start rebuilding some of these salt marshes to putting in oyster reefs which are a win-win in many situations both lowering pollution providing economic uh, opportunities for for coastal communities and for buffering storms Uh, there's All of these different methods that nature has given the planet to absorb all of this energy, all of which are cheaper and work better than highly engineered solutions. And um, I think it should be a priority for us. Um, Many states are making it a priority and are starting to restore their salt marshes. A lot of people are doing what's called open marsh water management where they're restoring salt marshes that have been degraded by things like mosquito ditching. And um, this can be a large priority for the United States as a whole by providing jobs, habitat, biodiversity, and using uh, the natural systems that have been in existence for millions of years and should be recoverable instead of trying to out-engineer ourselves into some kind of temporary produ- you know, protection that doesn't work as well.
1: I noticed you use the word energy a lot, absorbing energy, and I remember you once gave me a lesson in how a wave is made, and it, and it's basically... It can be made by just a little wind blowing in the middle of the ocean over the water, and the energy builds and builds and builds and gets transferred over huge distances. I almost feel like we're talking about developing a martial art here to protect ourselves. And rather than meeting the, the energy of these storms head on, we want to absorb the energy. Is that right?
0: That That is. one of the... the things that i read today that really stuck in my mind was the fact that these waves breaking need a frictional drag something to actually absorb that energy and if there's more friction and more drag then that energy is going to be absorbed much quicker and something like a salt marsh provides that frictional drag that absorption and it's much better than just you know a solid block that maybe it would bounce off of it's much better to absorb the energy and this is related to things like martial arts and how you can actually take a blow use that energy and um, and survive it
1: oceanographer and martial artist sarah octay (laughs) from the island of nantucket thank you for joining us on cnn profiles thank
0: you so much it was my pleasure
1: Remember, you can listen to CNN Profiles on CNN.com Soundwaves or on the apps SoundCloud or Stitcher. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Just one request. If you like us, share us. That's CNN Profiles.